0: What makes a good leader? This week's guest, Tim Fulkerson, knows a thing or two about that answer. Tim is an executive coach and a member of the Leadership Coach Group. He has coached hundreds of clients from a wide range of industries. Gail and Tim discuss the value of creating connections with your team. Effective leaders don't direct their people. They motivate and support them so they can do their best work.
1: I'm really excited to have Tim with us today. Tim has been my leadership coach for, oh, I don't know, a few months, four months, maybe five. Gosh, time is flying. And um, we have had several chats and I thought it would be really great to share his uh, insights and knowledge. And he's right now at a retreat with some other fellow coaches that are just struggling to survive in that ugly environment of Mexico <laughs> and that beautiful house. I'm so jealous.
2: Yeah. So um, just, just in case people think it really is ugly, uh, we'll just it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 good. I, I'll take it.
1: Yes, and he, you're kindly here in doing this. No matter if, that you're on this. Retreat, which is really, I think, yeah. a <laughs> and That's An opportunity. A
2: better word for it, yeah,
1: yeah, probably a good opportunity to hang out together and have a few drinks and so. There out. might
2: have been a couple of margaritas last night. I don't might know. Have
1: been. <laughs> All right, well, Tim. Before we get started, I would love for you to actually talk about your background and how you got into leadership coaching before yeah. you dive into your content today.
2: Yeah. Uh, home base for me is um, in San Francisco Bay Area. I'm a little west of Stanford and Palo Alto. Um, grew up in the Bay Area, uh, was an attorney in Silicon Valley for almost 25 years. Um, and sort of attorney, business strategist at various technology companies, uh, led various initiatives, worked closely with a number of leadership teams and um, I worked for some great leadership teams, and in uh, those places uh, made some pretty good money. And and I worked for some where I had a good salary, and the stock options weren't worth much. Um, and 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 it got me, I guess, at some point, really thinking about, uh, you know, what is the difference between really effective leaders and leadership teams, um, and 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 what you know what what do they do that helps them to be successful and and what happens in those teams where things aren't really coming together and not gelling um and i've been fortunate over the course of the last oh at this point about seven years i i have a couple of kids uh, my daughter uh, my youngest just headed off to college uh this past august and uh At that point my son was uh, really big into something that i didn't even know existed uh competitive rock climbing and he literally just flew home yesterday from zurich where he and uh, his girlfriend are both members of the u.s national rock climbing team with aspirations of going to paris in 2024 and um and ross was getting invitations to go travel around the world and i was kind of like you know what i'm kind of done with the whole business thing and i want to do something different so I I created this lifestyle that I love, and um, I love what I do. I get to work with people who I I I. It's such a gift, and um, and so we'll get into kind of just a conversation um, about what what does really effective leadership look like, and how do we literally begin to embody these traits and qualities in ourselves. So that we can show up not just for ourselves, but for our teams and the companies we work for, our, our customers and our clients, and um, and we'll kind of go through and have an open conversation. And Gail, you know, you'll help kind of moderate yes, us. Absolutely. And yeah. So there's my intro.
1: Okay, I love that. Well, and I want to just say a few things because I've been working with Tim um, really since about the end of December. And so, I was reading this book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And then that led me to picking up the phone and talking to Michael. And then Michael referred Tim. And it was really interesting. I really found that, um, and I think this is really important. If you ever think about hiring somebody who's going to be coaching you at a leadership level, you've got to have a connection with that person. And that is one of the crucial elements to me. And Tim and I hit it off immediately. And one of the things that I love about working with Tim is uh, I'm going to be really careful not to say a word, him, but he, he calls me on my stuff, <laughs> and uh, but he does it in a nice way. So he holds up a mirror, and uh, he is very tuned in to things that are related to maybe emotional mindset and where you are personally and where the people are that you're trying to deal with. And so I find that when I go to him, I can let him know what the challenges are that I'm experiencing. And he always has a really interesting viewpoint about that other por- person's point of view. And so then he reflects back off often to me where I need to be aware that I am not actually helping the process. So that's one of the things. You want somebody who's going to call you on your stuff, And who's going to do it in a way that is comfortable for you. And he does a really good job of not making me feel terrible, even though sometimes I I kick myself a few times for some of the things that I do. But, um, you know, if you're open to learning, it's just a really great process if you have the right person that approaches you in the right way. So anyway, with that, Tim, I'm going to let you dive into some of your content today.
2: Thanks. Um Yeah, and before I I pull up slides and and start going through some of the material, I want to just notice that uh, we are here a collection of people uh, across different time zones and various parts of our days. You know, we're in the middle of our day for many of us. And um, just by show of hands, um, on a scale of one to 10, how many of us are feeling a sense of stress that's like above a five level of stress right now?
3: Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
2: That's so yeah. beautiful. Um I want to I want to just take 2 minutes to give us all a sense of what's possible here and that there's a choice that we have when we notice this kind of stress. And so if you'll humor me or play with me a little bit, take a moment, close your eyes, sit back in your chair, get comfortable. And i want you to just first of all check in and feel your feet planted on the floor maybe squeeze your toes and see if you can't press them down into the floor and maybe just take a deep breath let it out and work your way up and maybe just feel your seat sitting in the bottom of your chair feel your back against the back of your chair. Notice your hands and sort of arrange them so they're comfortable in your lap. Yeah, and see if you can't just find a little extra space in your shoulders and maybe allow them to drop just a quarter, quarter inch, just a little bit, just a little release. And now taking a moment, I'm going to do a few kind of slow long deep breaths. So on a count of four, we'll inhale, hold for just a beat, and then a long, a longer, slower exhale. We'll do a few cycles here.
4: So in, hold,
3: release. In. Yeah. Do a few more cycles.
2: Okay. When you're ready, uh, I will be here with all of you. I'm curious, how many of you can feel a little bit more spaciousness or notice that perhaps your stress has just lowered a touch or two? Yeah. There's a real neurobiological reason for this. Um, when we feel stress, we're often in this place that's known as, you know, fight, flight, freeze, or parasympathetic nervous system, and we get really focused. And often, that's a hard place to learn from, right? We're working when we breathe. It's one of the most simple, most powerful ways that we can return to a more open space. And with more openness, there's more information to take in and more choice. And when we have more choice, right? We have a better opportunity to take a choice that will hopefully get us to a place that will um, grow our organization or have the kind of impact that we're, we're wanting to create. So I say all that because as leaders, we have an opportunity to always notice what's our level of stress. I make up that when we are really stressed, probably not going to create the most powerful choices for us, uh, and working with our teams. And so, um, This is just one quick, simple technique we can use in between calls like you can stop your call five minutes before the end of the hour because we're in like Zoom, uh, (laughs) like this kind of groundhog day of Zoom calls all day long in them a few minutes early. Take a deep breath, relax, and then you'll find that through the course of the day, you'll have a little bit more space. So what differentiates highly effective leaders from so-so leaders? And what we just did was to notice the first step of what really highly effective leaders are aware of. They tune into themselves and this emotional state, essentially, how stressed are we? Often so many of us are like playing whack-a-mole and dealing with so many things that are coming at us. There's a sense of overwhelm. And so the emails come, the phone calls come, and we find ourselves in this sort of problem reaction uh, circle, right? Problem, threat, it produces a sense of fear. And you can literally feel it if you tune into it, that when something comes at you, you can almost always feel a, a contraction, some little tensing in our, in our typically in our torsos, maybe fear lives in your belly, maybe anger or frustration comes across the armoring bands here in our chest. Um, and so from fear, we go to reaction and it goes back and forth. And so if you take a look at what really goes on here, we're sort of in this, you know, peaceful state An email hits, and then we're off to the races emotionally. And, uh, we work super hard and we deal with the problem, the threat, and then we can relax and it goes on until the next thing happens. And then we're just on this loop, but there's another possibility which is that we can begin to become clear for ourselves about what our purpose, our vision, our mission is. And we can begin to, you know, in that way, get a clear passion. And from that passion, we we can act, not react. We can be proactive and not reactive. And in that way, even though it still cycles up and down, we in general have this kind of direction that results grow, and we have this ability to unleash energy, not only for ourselves, but for those around us. Um, and in this way, I love this idea. This comes from Bill Adams, who's the uh, owner of the, uh, the leadership circle, along with his partner Bill uh, Bob Anderson. And so this idea that effective leaders outperform ineffective leaders every time. And um, we know that leadership matters. Leadership is the, that is the senior leadership of any company, is the largest determining factor of the group's performance, its culture, the way people engage or not with one another. It's their ability to have resilience and agility, the ability to adapt to different situations when they come in, and the ability to collaborate and innovate. So we know that leadership really matters and you can sort of begin to see here, you know, what the research confirms, right? That uh, research confirms that leadership and its, the culture it cr- creates is really the only differentiator between highly effective organizations and those that aren't. That people, the really good ones, join great companies, but they leave lousy bosses. Um, that strategy Um, that's implemented by ineffective leadership is sure to fail, or to put this in a different way, culture and how we work together trumps strategy every time. Um, And so I want to name this as most of us are really clear. We've gone through so much education and experience, and we're really good at what we do. What we're describing here is getting tuned in to the other 50% of what makes leader of what makes highly effective leaders effective, which is their being about tuning into the culture and creating connection first before we before we as a team go out and do what we're gonna do. And so here's the you know part of what, what's gonna really show up here. The top 10% of the highest performing leaders, those businesses outperform their competitors by a long shot. They get multiples of return on their time and effort. And you can think of this really concretely in this way, that our goal to become increasingly effective leaders is to take each and every hour of our day and scale it through those people around us. So for example, if you're a leader who has 10 people reporting to you, and each Monday morning, you show up at the office with your team, and you meet with them from eight to nine. And you're super clear, and you you engage them, empower them. In the next hour, those ten people go out and they create uh, each of them an hours worth of productive work. You just scaled your hour of time through those ten people and got ten hours worth of productive work. And of course, if that's all you got, you'd be You'd be a little disappointed. You'd actually hope that your morning conversation and check in got a full day's worth of effort. And so now your hour just won you 80 hours worth of effective output. And if if you were really good, you'd be able to actually take that hour each Monday morning and get a full week's worth of work. And so now we're talking about your hour producing 400, 450 hours through those 10 people. And now imagine each of those 10 people have 10 people working for them. You can begin to see the real scale and opportunity for being a highly effective leader. This is a quick snapshot of what a a leadership circle profile looks like. And we'll get into the details in just a moment, but I want you to get a sense of what um, the kind of feedback highly effective, effective leaders receive. And so, this person, Jerry, is the kind of leader who challenges and motivates you to do your best and you feel comfortable stretching because you know he or she won't second-guess a judgment call. And if they disagree after the fact, uh, they'll turn their situation into a learning opportunity rather than offer diff, you know, unproductive criticism. So, think of that, Right. They're really noticing uh, what what's working, what isn't, and they they've got their their team members backs and they they use their awareness to help uh, motiv- uh, motivate but but really mentor and develop their the, their team members so um, this is a little we're going to spend a, a couple minutes just to understand the leadership circle itself. Um, The top half of this circle is 18 deeply resourced competencies, creative competencies that leaders bring to their work, and all of us, uh, because we're human, we're not perfect. We all have different reactive styles, which is here in red, and I'll I'll go through what these actually are. Um, So, from a creative competencies perspective. Over on the left half of the circle are these relational competencies that include caring, connection, fostering team play, uh, creating collaboration, mentoring, developing people, interpersonal intelligence, and it also so that's relating with others. But there's also this way in which we are able to better relate to ourselves when we become a selfless leader. We are observed as having a sense of balance and composure, and we do our work we that is you know what you're doing here right is to become a personal learner and to keep engaging ourselves because if we fail to do that the risk is is we could become the ceiling that our teams bump up against because we aren't adapting and shifting and changing for our companies fast enough to get out of their way Um, here at the top of the circle authenticity which shows up as we have personal integrity um, we say what we believe. Um, we, we show up with courageous authenticity. And then we have these qualities of systems awareness. And ultimately, right, it's about achieving results as well. So we're integrating all of these things from uh, below the line, from a reactive perspective, it breaks down into these three major slices. Um, we can become over complying, over controlling, over protecting. And so, um, you can think of these energies in some ways as um, over-controlling is stepping into a situation too much, right? Protecting is kind of putting our hands out and, um, you know, distancing ourselves. It's a form of withdrawal. We show up and we're critical or we're arrogant. Um, and overcomplying is this energy of stepping in and, and wanting to be really too closely aligned. We're wanting to please, we want a sense of belonging. And we're conservative in the way that we won't really share what we think. We we kind of step back and moderate what we know um, just so that we can belong. And I want to just take a moment and um to see if if that's landing and that makes sense for people. How does this actually work in practice? Um this is an example of what uh, I often see working with young managers. Young managers are so good at their tasks. That this is the doing half of things, right? And so um, they are on it, they get their tasks done. And even when they're overwhelmed, like they, they are really working hard on behalf of the organization to deliver um, on what they've been asked to achieve. Um, and the challenge is that when we do that, um, sometimes we forget to connect with other people, and so we become kind of autocratic. We're driven because we've committed to delivering on something. There can sometimes be this level of perfectionism, and there's there can be this ambition. Right. The cool thing about the leadership circle is that um, if you happen to be for example, over-controlling based on the feedback you're getting from your team members, not to worry. It's just feedback. It's just some information, right? And from a coaching perspective, it just becomes an opportunity to notice like how how might you um, adopt new ways to be more effective with your team. And so, in this case, the opportunity is to step out of that, that need for control and focusing solely on the task and to become a little bit more relationally aware to step in more from a place of working with your team members around care and connection and from fostering a little bit of team play and from collaboration you know and in that way to do our work and to notice that oh yeah like of course i'm controlling when i get triggered and um like (laughs) <laughs> of course, that makes sense and I'm okay with that, right? Um, and so, you know, we have this sort of level of composure and balance that we cultivate in ourselves in that way. This is a bit of an eye chart, and I, I want to just name this um, very simply, but let me just explain what's going on here. What's really happening that dif- that distinguishes highly effective leaders from so-so leaders is these leaders have done their work. That is, they've actually worked deeply on themselves first and grown their capacity to move beyond the ability to just simply handle kind of simple situations. And they become increasingly effective at dealing with what almost all of us are dealing with in our world, which is this world. If people aren't familiar with the acronym VUCA, uh, it stands for a world that 's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. and so what happens when we find ourselves in these complex you know ambiguous situations? Often we can become fear uh, go into our fear circle and um, and so we can want to try to control it but Leaders who get out of a reactive state of mind and who stay in the creative competencies are almost always going to um, be much more uh, capable of of working with their teams through these difficult situations. And so, this is this opportunity around our own developmental growth, or this what's named here in this orange box, as our developmental challenge to grow ourselves first to become more aware of when we're in fear and where we're in our creative competencies and so this is a really interesting picture that shows that when we're in our fear-based state of mind that's where most of us live for most of our lives right Uh, well in our work capacities that a lot of us have a reactive form of mind 80 percent of us some of us have really done our work and we've cultivated a much more open creative space which is about 15 percent of us and there are a few extraordinary leaders and you can think of martin luther king or um, perhaps you know mahatma gandhi or nelson mandela as being examples of these incredible leaders who through these incredible struggles have figured out how to move whole nations forward and, and realize a much more just or, you know, uh, equanim- equanim- I guess, equanimous space. Um, so, and you can see the difference in leadership effectiveness goes from, here on the right, 40% effectiveness when we show from a reactive style of thinking to increasing levels of effectiveness as we move through creative or even into integral forms of mind. And This is just sort of noticing how this shows up in the leadership circle. Here again, below the line, reactive state of mind, sensing problem, threat, fear, reaction versus staying open, curious, like more uh, from that place that we experienced at the top of the call when I asked you to just sort of breathe, and staying in our creative selves. And just a couple of quotes to really notice what's happening, what's possible. This comes from Viktor Frankl, who survived the Nazi concentration camps and became a philosopher in the 50s and 60s um, and uh, was also uh, a psychotherapist. And he has this beautiful quote, right, that between stimulus and response, there's a space and in that space is each of our individual's power to choose our response. And in our response lies our potential for our own growth and for our freedom um, and to notice here in the second quote that we're, we're no, able, no longer able to change a situation like when it's really complex. Um, we can kind of beat ourselves ahead against a wall until at some point we realize that actually we're not going to change the situation and instead we need to challenge and change ourselves. Um, this is a quote from, um, uh, a couple of people who are, um, at Harvard in the school of education. It's the same kind of idea, but in slightly different terms, right? That when we find ourselves in these situations where it's too complex, we're not just experiencing the complexity of the world and of the situations. We're experiencing a mismatch between the world's complexity and our own sort of sophistication and ability to deal with that complexity in the moment. And there are only two logical ways to mend the mismatch. Either we reduce the world's complexity, we keep it simple, and you know, we continue to hammer the the round pegs uh, into the square holes or we learn to increase our own ability to handle the complexity. This is Joe Bowler. She's a professor in the School of Education at Stanford, and she talks about the learning pit. And um, this is really about this idea around when we're in a fear-based mindset, we're in this fixed mindset. The creative mindset is this growth mindset. And so we encounter a situation like this little boy here at the top of the the pit on the left. And you know, something hits us, we get an email, or that's a really challenging customer situation, and we're triggered and we fall into the learning pit. And either we hunker down, we go into fear, and we want the problem to just go away. That's simplicity, or we get open and curious. And you can see the little boy here with his hand on his chin, and he starts to look around and think about it, and he starts to work his way out of the hole. The growth mindset, the creative mindset, and there's actually a, a cycle that we can go through, and um, and so we start from this place. I would just look at the four box uh, quadrant here on the right. We start from a place of being unconsciously incompetent. We don't know what we don't know, and so something hits us, and we're sort of stuck. We don't know what's really going on. But at some point we get some awareness, right? And now we become conscious of our incompetence. And with some work and with some growth, maybe with some coaching, we can then become consciously competent. We have to work at it, right? We're growing new muscles, literally. We're growing new neurobiology. And what we're really after is if we do this same set of um, of useful, uh, helpful. Um, Responses to these challenging situations, we move from being consciously competent to actually doing it automatically. We become, you know, in this wonderful place where there's flow and ease. We just become unconsciously competent. And one other model that I want to share with you around complexity um, this comes from a guy, Dave Snowden, and um, it's called the Kinevan model. Kinevan is a word for about it's about place, about the places that we exist and and the places that um, really are about the complexity of the spaces that we we live in. And so Dave's divided the world into uh, two halves, the right side, which is ordered or predictable, and the left side, which is unordered or uh, unpredictable. And When we're in a predictable world, problems can either be simple and where there's a logic to what's going on and there's a a way in which, you know, when something happens, you know what to expect. And and so you sort of have, you can develop a recipe, literally like in cooking. You know that if you put flour and sugar and water and some butter together and you mix it up and you put it into an oven for 12 minutes, you're going to get this great set of cookies, for example. So you can solve it with a recipe. More complicated is like you're a rocket scientist and you're working with a whole team to send someone to the moon. And there's a whole series of physics and chemical equations. And it's, it's, you requ- it requires experts uh, to figure this all out. But there, there's, a, there's a known answer or a known set of answers for how to do this. What happens, though, when we are in teams of people, when we're parents, when we are working with others in this relational space we very often are not in a simple you know formulaic place we're actually in a complex space over here in the top left corner and so we're working in this way to sort of probe like what's happening we're opening our listening and we're sensing what's happening what are we noticing for ourselves and those around us and then we respond and we go through this and we sort of we're testing the last here in the lower spot is uh, this place of, of being in chaos, and now there's no rhyme or reason to this. It's really chaotic, but we can go and de- create a strategy to do these little science experiments to use kind of our emergent learning processes to do a lot of quick probing and sensing. This is the the act. We just act, we sense, and then we. it's a little bit of, you know, the old... Uh, uh, wash, rinse, repeat. We just keep trying these science experiments until we can stabilize the system. But I think it'll really help you to think about these situations now with respect to the kind of complexity. And I'm going to just finish up here in, a, in another couple of minutes and we'll open it up to questions. But a couple more uh, quotes and a couple of cartoons to help land this message, right? I love this idea. That we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. Yeah. So we want to be the kind of leaders when we're in complex situations that senses, you know, with, through our team, what 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 do we need to do to move through this challenging situation? And basically, what I want to share is, it's it's not that we are the the best educated or that we work the hardest. It is not that we have the best strategies or that we're really good at business negotiations. The difference between highly effective leaders and so-so leaders is that they are really relationally capable. And the reason why is because those other qualities are just table stakes. All of us need to have those as leaders. Um, but highly effective leaders learn to leverage their teams through relationships and really think about it. What does it mean to be a leader? A leader, an effective leader, has followers, people who want to follow you, right? And so that's having this relational space and set of competencies that starts with ourselves first. With that, I'm going to open it up. And Gail, I'll, I'll let you kind of lead us here. Okay.
1: Well, um, I think it's one of those things that, of course, there is no such thing as being a perfect leader, but I think it's a, to me, it's a journey. You have to learn about how to be a better leader. But I think what you brought up at the beginning of the session is how important it is for you to be self-aware and also for you to be willing to kind of face the hard truths and look at what you can do to improve your ability to connect with other people And I guess one of the questions I have is, um, I think, first a statement, but then a question that obviously empathy and curiosity can be very effective in being a better leader. And how can you use those to maybe shift your thinking so that you're not jumping into trying to solve problems, but you're allowing others to participate so that you're not um, maybe over inserting yourself in a situation? Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I love that question. And I want to frame it as um, if, if if we're kind of thinking about the Kenevan framework, if we're in a simple situation, right, and it's just really process-driven, then it's pretty simple. You delegate tasks um, and people go out and they go get it done. And honestly, there's not a lot of listening or anything. I mean, actually, potentially, if you're bringing someone new who's unfamiliar with it, right, then really listening, helping mentor and develop people, right, will will help them understand the recipe book and, you know, figure out how to bake the cookies quickly, effectively, efficiently. But boy, all of us are so aware, particularly over these last two years of the complexities that we exist in, of balancing our family and home lives with our work lives, which have all converged here on these screens, you know. And and so we're in this complex world and we don't have all the right answers. And of course we don't because we have our own set of lenses, our own experiences, education, just ways in which we view the world. And so our opportunity, if we want to move through the complexity more easily is to lean into those around us and to start opening up and asking questions and and noticing what do you what do you see, what do you sense what what are some possibilities here for how we could deal with this issue uh, you know as sort of quickly, easily, effectively as we can so that's where Gail, to your point um so many of us can get triggered (laughs) when we confront a place that we are unfamiliar with. We can feel afraid, out of control, and, and that's so natural, right? It's just a human instinct. The more powerful place is to be aware of it, notice the fear, the little tension or contraction, and then to return to that kind of equitable place, peaceful place, open place to just notice the relational opportunity to connect with our team members. What are you all seeing? Name it, you know? We have a real issue here. I don't have all the right answers, but I know among us we probably do. Um what are some ideas? Like what are you all sensing? And what are some ideas for how we could fix it? That's almost always going to be a way more effective way than just kind of being the bull in the China shop and just telling everyone, do this, right?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that is so true about that is that as leaders or owners of businesses, sometimes we think that we're taking the shortcut just to give people the answer. And that always comes back to bite us later. And I'm, love to get some comments about that because sometimes we do get better answers from the people on our team who are maybe in the day-to-day working with a particular client and we haven't been involved. But if they come and ask us for an opinion on something, sometimes it's best for us to stop and ask another question before we jump in with answers because this person is really more understanding or aware of whatever is going on in that particular situation and can probably solve the problem themselves or with very little input from us. So, I think we almost make our lives harder as managers because our, our first response in many cases is just try to solve the problem and make it go away because we're so busy that we don't take that extra second or two to ask the questions and stop and let that other person help solve that problem. And if we're smart about this as leaders, then we will quit offering our opinions so much and start asking more questions because the questions actually uh, empower the other person to try to figure it out for themselves, which then takes that pressure off of us as a leader. And then we can have a check-in and say, Hey, you know what, that is, um, that's is—that's an interesting way of thinking about that. I like your thinking about that. So maybe um, take this extra step and then let me know what you think. So you are not taking responsibility for their decisions and their responses on some things. So that's kind of a long answer, but I just wanted to.
2: I, I, so I almost kind of want to practice what, what we're preaching here and just yeah. open it up to the group here. Sure. And I'm just curious, what, what are you, how are you all taking this in and making sense of this? Like, uh, what, what's sort of showing up for, for you all, uh, what thoughts or ideas is it creating?
1: I guess we're going to have to call on them. No, yes. no, no, no. Actually,
2: this, this is, this is one of these, I'll just give you, this is a little coaching hint. Oh, there we go. As Leaders, which is, um. Uh, like you can toss a question like this out, and I know people can be a little shy or whatever. I make up most of you are not actually shy in real life, um, but uh, like so we have one here from Stephanie for sure. Um, and so actually, Stephanie, would would you be willing to just oh op- like just toss that question into the space and and yeah. sure,
5: hopefully it makes sense. But I feel that we are always the ones starting the conversations and our team obviously creates relationships within themselves, but I I just was struck. The thing that stuck out to me from the beginning was how important it is for us to take time at the beginning of the day or beginning of the week and really focus on the relationship building and how do we cultivate that within our team so that they know they can also start those conversations with us like it's not just them amongst themselves sitting next to each other but that they can come to us as owners and talk to us about personal life things um that it doesn't always have to be about work
2: yeah oh such a good question right and just because i'm a coach um i i'm i'm going to start with what do you think?
5: <laughs> well, I think, I mean, the easy answer is it's just by example and that we, since mm-hmm. we are the ones that are asking questions and asking how their weekend went and how did that trip go? Or I remember your sister was having a baby and how, you know, when are you get to see, see her, that sort of thing by example, um, we do that. But beyond that, I'm not sure if there's like a more in-depth way or some way we can look at it in terms of building deeper relationships.
2: Yeah. Wow. Um, I So, yeah, I love that answer. And you're right. It starts by example. And what I want to make up is it's not formulaic, right? Uh, and the advice here is to, for us in that way, we can find ourselves so often these days stuck in our head, right? And here what we're working to cultivate is to be an example of, yes, to be in our heads when we should be in our heads. But when it comes to connecting, that's about being in our hearts mm-hmm. and honestly to be in our guts and to trust our intuition and to be present, to just listen. Ask a question like, like you shared, you know, like, how was your weekend or how is your sister, right? And just be open. And I'm telling you, you know, we took those two minutes at the top to just ground ourselves. I I have been so impressed with just taking two minutes to get centered, particularly in the midst of busy days. I have clients who will come to our our. You know, hour-long call together, and say, "Hey Tim, could could we just do that centering thing for a couple minutes?" I've had a really hard morning, you know, and they they know it already, right? And so we can we can be the leaders by example of what it is we're wanting, and you know, you will be successful when your team members come to you and say, "No, hey Stephanie." How how was your weekend? You know, I have so many people checking in with me first before I check in with them now. Like Tim, how how's it going? You know? And just those four or five minutes go so far to creating a space together where we can be effective and thinking through things. So thank you. I I love that question.
5: Lisa Coffey did add, um, like, how do we get to know them or how do we get them to know that we are real people and not just a boss. And I like that.
2: Yeah. Well, like Lisa, any, any thoughts (laughs) about how people could get to know you and know that you're a real person?
3: (laughs) Well, I have been accused of being um, daunting or intimidating. And I don't think that that necessarily is Well, it certainly isn't how I intend to come across. And I always say you can talk to me and I do ask a lot of questions about what's going on in their life. And I feel like sometimes, at least for some of my crew, they'll answer it. But there's always a wall up there like they're trying to protect themselves or, you know, like, why are we talking about this when I have contracts to write? And I mean, so when we were at Boardroom, one of the things that gail talked about was um getting on their social media and like being friends with them and i did it right then at boardroom i just like friend request friend request friend request and there was a handful of them like it took them a few days to say yes and i i know they felt pressure and i never have done that i've always felt like it is their personal space and i would never friend them unless they did it to me first but I am so surprised at what I know about my team that I didn't know then. And on Monday morning, you can ask the questions like, oh, I saw you were out riding your horse on, you know, or one of my girls like shows horses competitively and she won a major, major, major award. And she never said anything about it, like a national award. And she just was going to come to work on Monday morning without talking about it to anybody. And so it was like, we made a big deal out of it. And I think, you know, that was a hard step for me to take, but I think it has helped. Like just what's going on with their nephew. And, and, you know, I think now the next step is we're we're doing team check-ins on Monday and I want to talk to them all about like when we tag them on social media, I know some of them don't like it, but I think it's not that they don't like to be tagged. I wonder if it's that they don't like the image that we're using. And so I want to talk to them about that, like what's comfortable for you and let's do something because we're doing it to celebrate you and to be proud of what you bring to our team. But I don't want this to be something that's negative for
2: you. Oh, so good. Like, just to reflect that back, right? That, um, you know, in in reaching out and just connecting with people first, like I want to the, the leadership principle here can just be boiled down to stay in your heart and connect first or get out of your head <laughs> which is all about the doing and get into your heart and just do a little bit of connection because what you're doing is to weave con- like you're weaving a tapestry together and you're creating resilience adaptability you're you're creating trust in this way right that allows you as an organization to shift and move and grow and to have each other's backs. And so it starts with this practice, this relational practice of just being curious and notice each one of us here, not just on this call, but in the world, all of us are unique. We all have our own experiences. And so it's just to be it's, it's in our uniqueness where our beauty and our strengths live. And none of us actually know that unless people are willing to share something about us. So like how cool to celebrate that, you know, someone, someone's daughter just crushed it, (laughs) you know, and like, oh, like, you know, you can feel the impact that that has on our bodies, right? On our hearts, the connection that it creates and the trust that it begins to engender in that way. So yeah, such a beautiful share.
4: <clears throat>
2: what else? Who else wants to chime in? Yeah.
4: The way, we, oh, this is Lisa Lovato. The way that we've been creating, you know, that sense of community, a few different things. Um, the boardroom, ret- I mean, the um, employee retreats, we've had two of them. Those have been amazing for that because we've done some exercises that really open people up. Things we've learned at boardroom, um, and then bring it back and we get to know each other, the little things about each other that we just never knew. It's like, wow, I never knew that about you. And it's been fun for everybody. The other, th- another thing is we have, um, like a twice a month book club Wednesday, mm-hmm. and we pick a business book, one of the ones from Gail's list. And, and then we all comment on it and we get to learn a lot about how you know each other's philosophy and how we think from that, that's been really fun um we're a small you know we're a fairly small group there's six of us and four girls so girls are usually more open at least here because I'm very open so I think it does come from leadership down sometimes maybe I'm too open you know maybe maybe I get too too personal or too close to people too quickly I've been sort of been said but the boys are much more, the men are much more reserved and LA is on this call. And, um, so LA and Sean are more reserved about their personal lives and, and what they share, but things come out in our little group meetings and in our retreats. And, and it's always just so heartwarming. It's like, Oh, they're, they're soft. You know, they have these soft spots to go. And, um, sean's really hard to get personal stuff out of he's very you know private but at the retreats and at these book club things um it's been just really heartwarming to learn more about about all of them all the great right? everything things. so and then mm-hmm. we're we're going to start that wine and what is it the um Wine and wallpaper. Somebody came up with that uh, boardroom said, we do a wine and wallpaper, you know, once a month or something. We're going to do something like that soon. <laughs> Just all those little activities that we do together, and it's maybe an hour, you know, every couple of weeks. It's not, a, we're not demanding that much of everyone's time, but those little group things really have helped create yeah. our sense of community and camaraderie.
2: Yeah, I, I love what you're sharing here. And I, I will um, generally, I, I don't like to generalize, but <laughs> I will generalize that uh, particularly uh, in our society, um, as you know, my own experience growing up as a, as a young man, a young boy, was in my family, we, as a young man, I was expected to just show up. To just get stuff done okay. you know we can see this on the soccer fields or you know in sports um and we are not taught to notice uh our emotions particularly the shadow emotions the harder emotions right mm-hmm. uh i was taught to 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 never show or feel fear to suppress it or mm-hmm. you know uh man i i you know think about uh, bigger emotions things like shame or mm-hmm. um you Real deep sadness or grief, like, Mm -hmm. oh my, like none of those ideas were supported, right? But we still feel all of them. It's just that as young men, we push them all down Mm -hmm. because we're socialized to just show up and be the knights in shining armor or to be a hero or something, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing our emotions, you know, first of all, I love this idea that emotions are nothing more than energy in motion, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's if we allow it to pass through us, you know, to acknowledge it, to feel it, it, it will typically pass in no longer than 90 seconds, often much quicker than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we start to suppress it, and so many men are show up this way, the only emotion that's remotely safe is anger. And anger is almost always a secondary emotion. It'll be tamped down, you know, we'll suppress it, and you might get a little frustration or it leaks out sideways. Mm -hmm. But underneath it is almost always fear, like that they're not good enough or that they're scared because they're not really in control of the situation. And um, Mm -hmm. this is where connection, right? (laughs) For men in particular to actually start to feel emotions, oh, it is so freeing and so much more able to create space where we as individuals can show up and be not just more connected with others, but first with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and then to really lead from that place. Emotions are a, a deeply, deeply powerful part of our own leadership uh, journey, you know? So,
4: one other so. thing I would just add is that the beautiful part of all of it is that when, whether it's the men or the women, when they are, they allow themselves, like in, in our group things, to become, especially at the retreats, but to become vulnerable and share something. And you can hear it, like it's hard sometimes. And then you can hear it in their voice and you can see it. And it's so beautiful and everyone in the room is just feeling in their heart, like love, like it's okay. You can, you can share this. You're, you're in a safe place and we do create this really safe environment for it too. But then when they do, it's, it's just so, it's so beautiful and there are tears like in the room, usually the girls are having tears for everyone, but it, but I think it is, it's just so beautiful to watch, especially the men in my office, be able to share some yeah. vulnerability.
2: If for those of you who know Brene Brown, who's a University of Houston sociologist and, and researcher, she researches shame actually. She names this uh, so well. Um, she was working with a group of um, of, um army um uh, you know just regular folks who had been in in iraq and afghanistan and she asked this question she said how many of you um have seen people like just put it all on the line like not put, it, but to be vulnerable um and and um and how many of you recognize that when someone is willing to go out and be vulnerable, to put themselves out there, um, recognize that as courage. And, and, you know, everyone, everyone knows that, right? right. That when we are willing to step up and be vulnerable, (laughs) in our heads, we're thinking, oh, man, I look so weak or whatever. But it has this way of connecting us, right? Of of being this deeply human part of that, that reaches into all of our hearts and we see it for what it is, which is true courage and strength.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you. That it is, that it's a good way to say it. It's, it is courageous.
2: Yeah. For so many. What else is out there? Who wants to be vulnerable and courageous?
1: We have a pretty courageous group to be honest. I know. For <laughs> sure. Leah, did you say something? Okay. Go ahead.
6: Courtney. Um, I'm doing a a program through Darren Hardy, and it's called The Hero's Journey. It's about leadership. And Mm. one area he talks about is confidence as the most attractive quality in a leader. And I guess the question I have is how do you walk that line between showing up in confidence while also allowing yourself to be vulnerable about areas of fear? how do you, how do you navigate those those waters
2: yeah well i I have some perspectives and of course you've heard it already you can almost hear my question right yeah. um, what how do you think about it what's what's your answer
6: well I probably like maybe many others here I tend to I connect by sometimes oversharing. <laughs> ah, yeah. I have found with my team that the more open I am, the more it resonates with them on a deeper level. They 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 open up in turn. And that that by being able to resonate whether or not it's through a Monday morning progress meeting or creating a, a safe space where they feel like they can share and you can create collaboration. And in the vein of Brene Brown, you know, showing up in vulnerability is courageous, maybe they're very similar traits, courage and confidence. And so if you're if you're owning it and and you're and you're stepping into it in a way that says, look, I don't have all the answers. I'm hoping that you guys can help me to assess what might be our best solutions here it is confidence it's a version of confidence i just don't think it's the version that everybody's used to and so it's almost like we're redefining it and that i think is a little scary for a lot of people
2: yeah mm-hmm. rock on like that's it that that was i was going to go like It's, you know, sort of my attorney self, it really depends on what you mean by confidence. I think so many of us just think it's like we bark out orders and we tell people we're, you know, we're the captain, you know, of our ship and just go do this. When actually to have the confidence to say, I don't know, and I need help. That is such a powerful place to invite people in and to co-create it together, right? To know when we're in complexity, we, we don't have the answers. Um, but with, our, with all of us together, if we're willing to step in and sh- share what we know, um, to share what we're thinking and sensing, that is, boy, that's going to take you so much further than just directing the answer.
6: All right. Maybe define it.
2: Yeah.
7: Um, so for the ones who don't know me, I'm Me Tapia. I'm with Game Murphy in tears. and I'm I have a question because um, I have a new position in the company and I was like few months before the new one that was adapting to everything all the process in. And I would like to know how can I be person because before, I was a peer to them. I was the same that, that, they want, that they are. And now that I'm on another position, I would like to know how I can be also still being their friend, but they can presume um, like they can see me as a leader that can be a channel between me and my actual boss that is the owner of the company. Yeah. Because I, I know it's a challenge for them, like in a few months going to being your equal to now I need also to hear what you're saying. And that's being I'm I try to be delicate on that part. And maybe I'm not getting the way I want to be with them, because if I'm pushed too much, then I, I'm not received well. And if I don't, then I have on the back end saying to me, like, what's going on? I need you to help me out with this. So I just want to know how um, I, can, I can be a better leader for them so yeah. they can see me in a different way. And I'm also being respectful on the relationship we have in the office. That was my question. Mm.
2: Beautiful, Lumida. I, um, I love that. I want to just name this for you, right? Here you are in a complex situation. You've never been here or done this before. And like we talked about it in the Kinevan framework, right? This is that top left corner, the complexity that exists here. How to do something you've never done before. And so, a couple of answers just to reinforce a little bit. First of all, is to just notice a little bit of the fear that you feel here, right? and to stay open and attuned to it, name it for yourself, and to breathe, you know? (laughs) And and then to notice you have a team of people, you know, who can help you. They're on your side, you know, in this way, which is your opportunities to not to be the command and control dictatorial leader, but to be the servant leader for them, right? To be the example, to connect and to ask, you know, to your team and to create a practice. What's one thing this is about? We're designing feedback. I'm new at this. I'm not going to be perfect. And I need your help. I need you to have my back and I'll do my best to have yours. But I need you to just tune in to what I'm doing well. And please let me know, like give me an appreciation or acknowledgement. And also let me know where I could do better. Like, so as your manager, scale of 1 to 10, like, how am I doing? And, you know, hopefully it'll give you like at least a 6, but let's call it a 6, you know? And your job is to say, wow, thank you. What's one thing I could do to take it from a 6 to a 7? And we just keep improving in that way. I want to name this for everyone here. I make up as leaders, we have core, four core responsibilities. So Lumila, remember this or write it down or just watch this again. Your responsibility, number one, is to have a clear, resonant vision that connects you and your team to do something together that is bigger than any one of you individually could do. Second, your job is to create a culture that has a sense of psychological safety and trust that you're building. Why? Because it's only in that space where people will share and where you can collaborate. And Of course, as Brene Brown says, that's the only place where real innovation happens, when we can connect from that place. Third, you are responsible for not just creating sustainable systems and processes. Your goal is to grow. So They have to be scalable systems and processes and to hold your team with that sort of idea in mind. Together, we will scale ourselves in what we do. And Finally, it's what you're doing right here, right now, all of us together, which is it is to be a personal learner. It is to keep learning and growing so we don't become the ceiling that our team bumps up against, and, and, and the team stops delivering because we haven't adapted and shifted and grown um, ourselves. Does that help? So to reinforce this idea of feedback, you know, maybe not a scale of one to 10, but maybe just a quick show of hands, thumbs up. Was, was this helpful today? Like, good. Like, did you get something out of it? Yeah, I'm seeing some hands. Yeah, I actually see a lot of hands. Okay, good. And, you know, maybe think about, you know, actually, what's one thing that um, could, could have made this a better conversation? Like, this could have been really good. Maybe someone would say like a 10 out of 10. I, but, but even then, right, it's to push it and say, great, what else? Like, what could take it from a 10 to an 11, right? Like that, Um, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I love seeing all your faces, particularly here in pandemic. It's so lovely to see the smiles and just to be here with you. So, um, thank you all so much for your time today. And thank Thank you, thank you, Jim. Yeah.
1: All right, I just wanted to share something that um, an observation and the time that we've worked together that I was. I thought was so interesting and I wanted to share it because uh, it really only came out about a month ago. And I, I just stopped you for a second. And I said, do you meditate? Cause I had noticed this process that you go through when we work together, where sometimes you'll just stop and I can tell that you're taking a deep breath in and you close your eyes and you just, I can see your body relaxing. And so your comment to me was, yes, I am f- Uh, I'm feeling what you're saying. So you're kind of doing it right there too. And so what I was noticing is, and this is so interesting because, you know, with your background, somebody might not see that more sensitive way of approaching things. But I thought it was so fascinating because it just showed me how much you were tuning into understanding where I was coming from at that particular moment. So you were feeling and actually processing and noticing it in your body, which I think has been helpful for me over the years, too, as to when I can identify a feeling, just notice where I'm feeling it in the body. So I just wanted to share that because I thought that was um, that that's an interesting practice.
2: It's a really powerful practice. I'm really glad that you mentioned it. Um I love this idea that we really, as people, we don't just change because we have new awareness. We change because we've cultivated literally new neural pathways and have created new choices. So literally, if we want to change, we have to literally embody that change to transform our possibilities. And it lives in our bodies. Uh, I've been doing a whole somatics coaching practice and the the power of this, I would never have told I'm, I, I get that I live in Northern California, and there's kind of woo woo and all that. But <laughs> I, you know, that's not how I grew up. Um, and I can tell you the, the the power, the information available, when we can start to notice emotions and the and what's happening in our bodies, literally, it is that additional information that offers more <laughs> choice, more possibility. And so for me, like, you know, Gail, when we work together, those, there are all those times when I'll close my eyes and I'll just really notice what, what am I feeling, right? And it's often such a powerful first step in just saying, I'm noticing something. And it doesn't have to be right, you know, but it's a start. This is what I'm sensing. What are you sensing? Like that.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty powerful thing. And for me, I've always struggled with identifying the emotions. Sometimes I'll feel it in my body, but it doesn't necessarily tell me what what is that label of what that emotion is. But sometimes I can at least sense where it is. So that's such a a helpful practice to to work on and it's something I need to keep working on. But something also I think is when we're in the middle of our Day, our days as business owners and as part of the team, sometimes we can just get so wrapped up in just doing and thinking and not really feeling. And just taking it to that next step of being able to connect it to the feeling allows us to probably process it a little bit more completely.
2: For sure, right? We are so busy locked into this left brain part of ourselves. This is. The left brain holds our logical self. It's very linear and structured. Um, It has the logic behind things, but what we're really wanting to do when we slow down and breathe and we shift out of parasympathetic fight-flight-freeze, we give ourselves an ability to tune up our right brain relational self. And This part of our brain is literally more dense because it has all of these neurons that reach out and connect to all these other neurons and it's where all of this right brain relational com- like thinking that we need when we're in complexity we need to figure our way out of that learning pit right and so we want to, our right brain to light up and not be in the fear of our left brain who's telling us you know in our fixed mindset way god i hate being in here and we get we get small we need to open up we need to tune up our right brain thinking to figure out relationally, what what's our intuition telling us? What's possible here?
1: Yes. I just have a quick question about, I have a team member who is really going through a difficult time and I'm trying to figure, they're a very private person. And I'm trying to figure out just like the simplest way to try to support them. Um, this is my bookkeeper. And I just, if anyone had any kind of tips, I was even trying to think like from, I mean, maybe I'll give her a Brene Brown book while she's in the hospital or something. But if there was any kind of simple meditation or an app that anyone would say, this has been really good that I could do for her, since she's not giving her like flowers is not going to really be anything. So I'm trying to, so if anyone had a suggestion, I'd appreciate you sending it my way.
8: That Calm app is amazing. You like the Calm app? Okay. Yeah, I've actually thought about it paying for it for my staff so they would have it okay do meditations you can do sleep stories they've um that shetty guy just started doing like a daily mindful thing on there too so you can kind of pick from like three different people in the morning like which one you want to listen to and you can or go to sleep to. and it's i think that could be there's a lot of good valuable stuff on that thank you lisa appreciate it
4: What is that called again i'm sorry it's the calm c-a-l-m app oh calm app thank you calm app
8: okay thanks i really like it i listen that's how i meditate like in the morning i just get my coffee and while it's too hot i just sit there for like it's like 10 minutes is all and you just listen to it it's a guided meditation which is what i need because my brain like races so Mm -hmm. um it can be really helpful and you can kind of pick what topic you think would be good that day and
1: Okay, this may be a little silly, but do I just give,
8: uh, to give that to someone, it's an app, so... I would just pay for the, find out how much it is and give them the money for that okay. year maybe, so it doesn't read, like what I'm thinking about is just reimbursing them for it.
7: Okay.
3: Shannon, I would say one thing, and I don't know what your bookkeeper is going through, but is she going to be in the hospital for an extended period of time? I don't know yet. It's all, it's all... So, So my sister spent a month in the hospital and I was with her and um, it completely changed my thought. And I will shout this at the rooftops to anybody, always send flowers, send flowers when someone is in the hospital, because when they were, we were there for a month and you smell bodily fluids and blood and bleach, and it's the most terrible environment to try to heal in And on those days that a big bouquet was delivered of lilies, we felt like we were in a garden and it was such a respite. And it just completely changed my thought. Like, send flowers.
0: Thank you. Thank you all. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you, everyone. And if anyone um, has any questions or things that they need help with, certainly post over in Slack And Tim, thank you so much for your time today, especially when you're down in such a lovely spot. And I hope (laughs) you have a few margaritas for us tonight.
2: I will. Enjoy your
1: time with the group and tell Michael hello.
2: Indeed. Thanks all. Great to to meet you. And thanks so much for the questions and your engagement. Um, So appreciate it. Thanks, Gail. Bye.
1: All right. Thanks, Tim. See you later. Bye, everybody.
0: Tim Folkerson had a wealth of information to share about leadership. So if you're a business leader, then hopefully you've got some valuable insights about how to effectively manage a team, center your emotions, and get the most out of your time. We only have three more episodes of Season 5 left, so make sure you're caught up and excited for our final guests in the coming weeks. As part of our ongoing efforts to support our community of designers, we're conducting the 2022 Interior Designer Survey on Fees, Salaries, and Competing for Talent. The purpose of this survey is to help our design community understand the current state of the industry, the individuals who make up the industry, and the challenges you face as an interior design business owner. We want to hear from you, so please take eight minutes to participate in this survey before July 31st. Go to gildobee.com slash ID survey. Compiled results will be published this fall. Participants will receive an advanced copy of the resulting report and will be entered into a drawing of prizes throughout the duration of the data collection period. And last but not least, please follow us on Instagram at Gail.doby.